1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and
0: liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Welcome and welcome, meine Damen und Herren. Probably messed that up. in a long time since I took the German folks. Anyway, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, or as the Germans say, Auf Leidetschneitzen, Burgundenkampelag. Yes, this is episode number 115, meaning you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 115 and get all of the wonderful show notes for this episode. And there are a lot. I think there's about 15 links in this show because ye dogs, or I say we dogs, we dogs, and ye gods. We dogs, ye gods, all the above. This has been a week in which the war state and the military-industrial complex has just laid its hand bare on the table, and I uh, was collecting all of this evidence today to talk about. But before we get into that, I want to tout one thing that's pretty amazing. You'll recall I teased a little bit last episode, which, of course, I talked about Justin Amash hinting around that he may, in fact, consider running under the libertarian ticket as president in 2020. Or I shouldn't say he's considering it strongly. I should say he hasn't really put a lot of thought into it, but it's not something that he would discount. And how amazing it would be for him to pair up with Rand Paul for a super ticket for libertarianism. Or just common sense, really, if we're being perfectly honest. Now, I had hinted that we might have one of these luminaries that I'd mentioned on the show on and I'm going to do you a favor I'm going to reveal exactly who that's going to be because Mark is going to have the one the only Justin Amash on Monday's show yes you heard right I would say this is a exclusive get for the Lions of Liberty and you know what we deserve it god damn it As the OG Variety Show podcast that you guys love jamming in your ear holes, cramming it in there with a toothpick. Wait, not a toothpick. I mean a cotton swab. Toothpick, uh, that would hurt. Although really, what's a cotton swab except a toothpick with some shit on the end of it? But anyway, as the OG original Variety Show podcast, which Mark has been slaving through under a hot microphone to get you guys for the past few years before Odie and I joined on, We deserve this get So Justin Amash will be on Monday's show. Listen in for that because it is going to be awesome. And one more thing I want to get in before I get into the show proper is last episode, I had a misconception and I don't know, blame it on the rain, blame it on exhaustion, blame it on the alcohol, although I was not drunk. (laughs) I was exceptionally tired. Uh, I had miscategorized one Tom Woods' comments in regards to the legalization of prostitution, wherein I had read an article that he wrote on his email. I'd read the Twitter feud going back between him and Nick Subark, and uh, and I don't know. I pulled the wrong conclusion out of that. So shame on me, because Tom is for the legalization of prostitution. However, he has objections to the acceptance of it, the normalization of it, and so, shame on me, guys. I apologize to you. I, uh, I of course, will always admit when I'm wrong. And I offer a sincere apology to Tom for misrepresenting his ideas in regards to that topic. So, I did put a uh, addendum into last week's show. However, I didn't realize it until, like, the next morning after I finally got a, a few hours of sleep. I was, Damn, man, I sleep like shit. Anyway, when I woke up the next morning, realized the mistake that I had made. And thank you for those of you who did uh, point that out to me on social media so I can go and realize what I did wrong and, and see the error of my ways there by researching more deeply into the uh, what I'd initially read and gotten the wrong idea from. So apologies to Tom. I did go in and put a little addendum into last week's episode. However, if you were one of the people that downloaded it very early and I know a lot of you guys get it hot off the presses, you might not have heard that. So I, uh, I did correct it. However, you know, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here. You can go back and listen to that episode on your own now. You can even hear my little... My little apology. Sorry, Tom. I'm just a little kid in the way universe. That's basically how it went. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I do feel bad about that. So clear in the air. Although I doubt my invitation to the, uh, the Tom Woods cruise is going to be uh, in the mail anytime soon. It's too bad. You know, I did tweet at him too. I tweeted at him saying, whoops, my bad, Tom. I fucked up and uh, never got back to me. Son of a bitch. Probably too busy comparing beards. With fucking Bob Murphy over there trying to big-time me. I mean, shit, man. We can consider this punching up. Trying to punch up here. Getting ignored. Insulting. That's what hurts the most, guys. You know, it's like when you break up with somebody and they don't even have the... They don't even care enough about you to to get back and tell you that they hate you. It's the indifference that hurts the most. It really does. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get into the show and talk about some war state. And then... Get into some other topics, which I have uh, scheduled for after the break. So first things first, I want to talk about this Chelsea Manning situation because obviously Chelsea Manning, you know, or I, I don't want to rehash all of it, but she was arrested initially for leaking to WikiLeaks some, you know, like a million different wires, some videos and truly exposing the war crimes of the United States. I and mean, we're talking videos of helicopters firing on women and children murdering people. We're talking about videos of soldiers talking about, and like this audio too of this stuff. Soldiers literally confirming, okay, we shot a bunch of people there. They're wounded down in the street. A van came to pick up the wounded. It's got women and children inside of the van. Can I shoot them? Which it's a sickening thing to hear from soldiers in general, by the way. You know, there's women and children in the van. They're going out to help these people that are already down wounded. And they're like, hey, can I shoot? I really want to shoot. Can I engage? I'd love to shoot them. So these guys are all amped up. They do get permission to shoot. And they end up mowing down something like 10 or 15 people. And, the, and you can hear the guy say, he's like, he's like hey, you know, there's uh, 15 dead people over there. Well, see ya. So, you know, good for Chelsea Manning. Exposing the United States racket of, uh, of military, I don't even know what you call it, philanthropy? <laughs> A global force for good? Quote, unquote. So exposing the war crimes that that happen, you know, probably on a, a, a not a daily basis, I'll, I'll give us more benefit of the doubt than that, but at least often enough to be an issue. So leaked all of these things, you know, it brought to, to light all of the issues with transparency, with whistleblowing protections, and still went to jail until Obama commuted her sentence and released her. However, Chelsea Manning is now once again back in court. And she's back in court and actually now back in prison because she was subpoenaed to testify before a federal grand jury in a sealed case out in uh, Virginia, which is (laughs) the same case that the the same place they have the sealed indictment against WikiLeaks uh, founder and publisher Julian Assange. So, what do you think is going on there? So they call her and they want her to testify again in regards to WikiLeaks, probably just trying to pressure her into saying, "Okay, give us exactly who you turn the documents over to." All this other stuff it, to keep going after Julian Assange, which Trump's got a hard on for going after Julian Assange. Still, meanwhile, Ed Snowden is still not pardoned, still abroad, living his life in Russia because you know he dared to expose an even greater scandal. Now, granted, nobody was murdered in the street in that scandal, and he wasn't an active participant in the military, but still exposed the largest domestic spying apparatus that has ever existed in the history of the world. And I say that pretty confidently because even China to this day, maybe China's got something a little bit more sophisticated going on now, but at the time we're talking about, you know, China's catching up pretty quick, but at the time we're talking about the FBI, we're talking about the NSA, we're talking about everybody, everybody listening to everything you're doing, everything you're sending, everything you're transmitting, every email, every text, every phone call, Despite James Clapper lying to Congress about it. And then it exposed that they used this hop program, which was like, it was up to like, it was basically six degrees of seven bacon or of seven bacon. Six degrees of seven bacon. The new counting show starring Kevin Bacon, who's your host. Hi, I'm Kevin Bacon. Can you count to seven? Anyway, it was like the six degrees of seven bacon. God, God damn it, I can't talk into it again. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon except it had seven hops. You see, that's where I'm getting tripped up, guys. And these seven hops was like kind of like the thing that they use wherein you could take these different hops the FBI had permission to legally, take these hops from the initial contact, which is supposed to be only somebody abroad. And then they said, well, you know, just like Wayne's World, and they tell two people, and they tell two people, and so on, and so on. So they would say, well, you know, for monitoring this one person, We have to talk to everybody they're talking to, and then we have to monitor everybody that those people are talking to on top of that, and everybody they're talking to, where it de facto becomes monitoring every person in the fucking United States, I shit you not. That's how, that's what happens. You know, we're we're getting into multipliers. That's how it works out. Anywho, Edward Stone is still not allowed back to the country. So, Trump still wants Chelsea Manning on a, on a spit as well because he, he's got a boner for this kind of stuff. So, she gets subpoenaed to testify on, on WikiLeaks and says no. And I would do the same goddamn thing. She's already been pardoned. She's already out. Why are they calling her back in? And what she ended up happening, she said, no, I'm not going to testify in front of this closed court, this secret court, by the way. So, probably in her mind, she's thinking, okay, well, I've been pardoned by Obama, I already went to jail. I've now got a different regime in office that seems to want to really crack down on whistleblowers and really seems to have a a true hatred for people that uh, like myself and like Edward Snowden, like Julian Assange. Despite the fact that Trump benefited from it, still has not made any efforts to to smooth this thing with Assange over and, and pardon him or anything, or or clear any investigations. I should say. So why would I go into a closed door testimony wherein I could perjure myself? Because we're seeing already that. Everybody loves going after people, perjuring themselves in front of uh, grand juries or in front of Congress and then throwing them in jail for nonsense. So Chelsea's looking at this and they say, "Okay, so I'm already somebody that is a persona non grata. I see the writing on the wall in the way that these these people are operating lately. And wouldn't it just be convenient for them and for Trump to say, okay, I'm going to count this as a victory and you know, and, and granted, in the midst of Trump trying to crack down on transgenders in the military anyway, it's like a double win for Trump. I mean uh two balls, one sack. Or lack thereof. So I don't blame Chelsea for saying no to this. And I mean, look, she could spend 18 months up up to 18 months in jail for her her lawyer. Now they could appeal this, but you know, I, I just think it's atrocious that you can be subpoenaed to testify in front of a private court. In a secret meeting wherein no one knows what you said, the records of which are classified and won't be released. And, you know, I mean, they could literally pull anything out of that and say, well, this is now grounds to put you back in jail. Or now, you know, this is a a new level of treason that we didn't formally know about. Or, you know, we find a different intent. Find some other way to put you back in prison. So good on you, Chelsea. I hope that you uh, get out of prison soon. I hope that you get a new haircut because God, man. Woo! bad haircut. Gotta say, terrible haircut. Looks like a hockey player. Mullet. But ties into the overall theme here of the war state. And how this week we're seeing all of the tricks come out from the war state, from the empire, from the military industrial complex. And of course, does it want any of these things exposed? If there's one person that they don't want out there on the streets, it's Chelsea Manning. Who exposed the atrocities that go on on this ongoing, never-ending war? And this, and what she exposed happened in Baghdad during the Iraq War. I believe it was the Iraq War. It might be later on. It might be just during the occupation. I have to, I have to check. And I apologize. I uh, no, two thousand ten. So you're seeing the war state. Okay, number one, we're going to try to really ramp up on prosecuting whistleblowers. Which under Obama, even though he pardoned Chelsea Manning, that was due to political pressure, not due to Obama being some fi- fan of political. Uh, A political asylum for people that whistleblow on his government. As we see, Obama wanted Ed Snowden dead, for Christ's sake. But we see them going after whistleblowers, trying to quash any sort of questioning, any sort of information that can leak out about what's going on behind the scenes. And we see that with Trump just this week. As I said, this week has been very telling. Just this week, Trump also says, okay, well, you know what? What we're going to do, we're going to uh, get rid of that whole Obama-era rule requiring reports on drone strike casualties. So now we don't even know what our drones are doing in all these countries, and we're in something like 45 countries doing military operations across the world. There's like a map you can look at that highlights all of these different issues, all these different places that we're either doing covert operations in, overt operations in, or we're training people in, or we're just flying around dropping bombs in. So in 2016, Obama said, "Okay, in the effort to be a little bit more transparent after I murdered all those people, including American citizens, without any sort of uh, trial, without habeas corpus, because who needs that? Not Obama. He's got a pen, right? He's got a pen. That's all you need. So in a nod to the people like you and me, He, he decides in 2016 that the Secretary of Defense had to submit an unclassified report on civilian casualties caused as a result of military operations. And this had to do the same for drone strikes. Director of National Intelligence did the same for drone strikes, including an assessment of combatant, quote, combatant and non-combatant deaths resulting from those strikes. Now, they've only done one report on that to, to date, but it wasn't great. <laughs> wasn't great, guys. And that report revealed that in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen, 499 civilians died and 169 were injured. So we're talking, you know, almost 900. Actually, no, sorry, almost 800. <laughs> Math, huh? Sucks. Almost 800 people that the US has either murdered or maimed via drone strikes, where we're supposedly targeting terrorists. Now, I look at the terrorist numbers killed. And it doesn't seem to, to amount to 900 people every year, does it? I, I mean, I don't even think there's 900 terrorists running around in these places anymore, let alone 900 terrorists that we would be able to target specifically with, grown, with drone strikes like this. So no, we're just going around murdering people. And as I talked about in last week's episode, where I referenced War Machine and the math of the uh, the insurgent math that, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name, but Crystal used, wherein you got 10 insurgents you kill 2 of them you have 8 left the real math is you have 10 insurgents you kill 2 of them and in, in these instances you kill two terrorists you maim seven other family you kill 10 more now you got some 50 terrorists you got 50 insurgents coming at you but now trump has decided no longer we're not going to do that anymore so we don't know, you know they say they don't know what prompted the restrictions or the or the, the rescinding of this order well i can tell you Bad optics. The fact that Trump continues to drone bomb the shit out of places. The fact that Trump does, despite the fact that I give him credit for certain libertarian things that he does in regards to talking in North Korea, in regards to uh, talking about the UN and 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 trying to and NATO and trying to get people to pay their fair share and bringing home troops or threatening to uh, talking about deregulation, all the stuff that Trump does that I like. Trump on war in general is atrocious. Not on regime change, mind you. On regime change, he actually seems to be somewhat logical, and I give Rand Paul credit for that. But in regards to actually combating, let's say, terrorism, uh, to going to war with places like, look at Iran and all the war thumping going on there, the actions in Syria, the continued actions in Afghanistan, the continued actions in Africa. Now, they're talking about Afghanistan peace. Good. Good on you, Trump, on that one. But at the same time, we're, you know, amping up our efforts in Africa, we're in Somalia for fuck's sake. I mean, Christ, Somalia, the, the, the funny thing about Somalia, guys, you know, it's supposed to be a libertarian paradise, right? Everybody goes, ha, oh, you want to be a libertarian? Go to Somalia. I can't go to Somalia now. The U.S. is bombing the fuck out of it. How can it? Is this, this is like, is that the silver lining to this is that asshole progressives can't say go to Somalia anymore because now the U.S. is fucking dropping bombs and killing civilians there. Anyway, another instance of the war state, another instance of the cards being laid out here, the lack of transparency, everything that we thought would be more transparent and open up is now being closed down to us again because they don't want these numbers exposed. The more civilian deaths that we can expose in Africa, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen, the more the war state gets fear that that funding is going to get pulled, that American people will turn against them. So they keep distracting us with bullshit like this Omar-Israel scandal, which I'm going to get into in just a second. Meanwhile, glancing over the fact that Israel is committing war crimes and they're doing it with our weapons. Saudi Arabia is committing war crimes and they're doing it with our weapons and our fuel assistance over in Yemen. So the restricting the drone numbers that come out, saying that we're no longer going to share the civilian deaths, of course they're going to do that. And the numbers make it pretty obvious why. Now, let's move on and talk about Omar for a second, too, because I want to get into that. Uh, I don't want to go in deep, deep into it, but just how it ties into everything we're talking about here. Now, to give you a little perspective, a little history here. Ron Paul very famously gave a speech and and, and talked about the 32, you know, kind (laughs) of the things you could or could not do, his rules. And, and we at Lions of Liberty, back when we had a website that we wrote for before we decided that you would rather listen to our voices, I wrote, you know, we, we broke down each one of these 32 issues that, that Ron Paul had raised. It was, you know, I think it was his last year in the Senate, this big speech he gave. We broke them down. And uh, we did it topic by topic, uh, one a day. And we were actually going to make it into an ebook that just kind of never came to fruition. But you can still find that uh, back at, at lionsofliberty.com. And I'll, I'll link to that, that uh, long, lengthy uh, installment that we did. But the one that I took on was that Ron Paul questions, you know, was, you know these 32 questions he asked, says, why is no one allowed to criticize APAC?" And so I took that issue on. And. Wrote a whole piece examining it, you know, talking about uh, how Ron Paul is exactly right, and that anyone that utters the name APAC and doesn't uh, tie it with, like Donald Trump, oh, we're going to make Jerusalem the capital again, and we're going to we're going to make sure that we stand with Israel, and any attack on Israel is an attack on the United States. Make sure that Israel gets all the funding it needs. Israel, uh, make sure that we overlook all of the um, all of the hacking instances that they do, because Israel is the number one cyber threat to the United States of any country in the world. This, by the way, this is, a, this is a fact as released in the documents, United States-owned documents. More attacks come from Israel, and they're spying than uh, than North Korea, than China combined. We continue to pride Israel with all of their weaponry. And not only that, but we continue to pride it with, with uh, financial aid. And Rand Paul, to his credit, has stood up and said, hey, we don't need to give Israel any more money. Israel's plenty rich, which they are. But basically what it is is the epitome of corporate welfare on a state level. It's just military industrial warfare, though. Again, this is all tying together. We got military industrial welfare in that the United States allocates billions upon billions of dollars every year to give to Israel. Israel then in turn uses those billions of dollars to come back and buy American weapons. I mean, if there's anything that epitomizes the military industrial complex at work, it is the fucking relationship with Israel. Not only that, but we also give Israel all of the old weapons that we don't need anymore, that we have surplus of. Bombs that are set to expire, we give to Israel. Hey, I'm not even making this shit up. We give them like bombs have an expiration date, you know? And we give the bombs that are going to expire in the next couple of years, we give those to Israel more or less for free, we give them all of our old planes, our our, uh, attack equipment, the Humvees, all this other shit. We just give that to Israel. Either that or we give it to our police forces. So I guess if you were going to ask me, hey, Brian, would you rather have Israel get all that excess military equipment or have the United States police forces have it? I guess I would say Israel. So maybe that's a good thing if if we're looking at it in that spectrum. It's like being asked if you want to be raped in the shower or the bathroom. Well, I mean, I guess the shower. At least I'll be clean. So anyway, we give them all these military, which also plays into the military industrial complex because, okay, we're giving Israel all of our old weapons. Well, if we're giving away these old weapons, we're going to have to buy new weapons, right? We need the, the best, the highest tech. That Humvee's two years old. Get rid of it. It's like assholes in L.A., these fucking people who drive around leasing cars every two years. You have a bunch of Jags? So Israel, of course, is tied so deeply within the military-industrial complex that it is uh, irretrievable. You can't possibly separate the two of them without completely destroying both. And Ron Paul raised that question, why can't you question AIPAC? So, of course, if anybody does question AIPAC, the the American-Israeli Political Action Committee... There are some very clear tactics that are taken, and I outline these in my article that I wrote. And that is basically that first things first, dare you to criticize them. All of your funding gets gets pulled from you. And then they set out on a public relations campaign calling you anti-Semitic, which is still very powerful in this day and age, despite the fact that it is utterly ridiculous in most cases to call these people anti-Semitic. They call you anti Semitic and they say, okay, whatever you said, you hate to Jews not just Israeli Jews, all Jews, because that's the thing about saying anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Zionist, right? It's not just anti-Israel specifically and not just anti-Israel people. When we're saying anti-Zionist, we're talking about the state. You know, we're talking about the state of Israel and the actions they're taking, not being against all Jews, which is very, very different, especially to say there are more Jews in the United States than there are in Israel. So they say, okay, you're anti-Semitic. You hate all Jews everywhere. You're a racist, bigoted piece of filth. And then they start to you know, dig up all shit about your past. They look for any little thing, any little misstep, any little misspiking you, you might've had, which of course I have many. <laughs> I think I just had another one. They pressure all the people that donated to your campaign to pull their donations. Or if you happen to be somebody in the media, they pressure all of your sponsors to pull their sponsorships from you. They run ads in the New York Times. They go on speaking tours. They uh, make sure to call anywhere you might be scheduled to speak and cancel it. I mean, it is really a despicable sort of power that they that they wield. And you've got all these politicians who are too scared to take it face, face on. You know, they're too scared to speak out and say this is something that is an unwieldy amount of power for such a small country. So, enter stage left. Representative Ilhan Omar. Come on down. So she said a couple weeks ago and was roundly criticized from both sides of the aisle, mind you. Both sides, Democrats and Republicans, which is interesting because the Democrats, Trump's already calling for a jexit following Omar's statements, trying to pressure American Jews to leave the Democratic Party and come to the GOP. Which, I mean, I guess empirically I would be for. I'd rather they come to the Libertarian Party. It seems to make much more sense for them. Hey, if we're going to go Jewish stereotypes, and we're going to go full Jews love money stereotype, uh, hey guys, come on over to Libertarian Party. We got free market capitalism. Now then again, every board chairman has pretty much been Jewish. So I don't know if, I don't know if they want to give up the the Fed chairmanship. But anyway, enough stereotypes. Back to the show. So you've got, uh, you've got Omar out there, and she said essentially, wrote that it's all about the Benjamins in response to a tweet from uh, journalist uh, Glenn Greenwald over at The Intercept. And he published about House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy threatening to punish Omar and other congressmen and women for being critical of Israel. And this all ties into, by the way, to the Anti-Boycott Israel Act, which is complete fucking bullshit. And a lot of states have this, where you cannot, if they find you are actively boycotting products coming from Israel then they will take action against you, which is absurd and a violation of basic civil rights, in my opinion. How you spend your dollars should be up to you. And if if you're in opposition to anything, be it political, be it uh, (laughs) what kind of cereal somebody likes, which, by the way, happy National Cereal Day from a few days ago. Captain Crunch is the best. Wonderful cereal. Delicious. And I know it hurts the roof of your mouth. I get it, guys. But it's worth the pain. It's like sex with a crazy girl. It is worth it. Mm. He's a goddamn cat and crutch being country right now. So anyway, how dare you criticize Israel and all of its horrible human rights abuses against the people of Palestine? So anyway, to, try, to punish these people. So she writes back to this in regards to Kevin McCarthy uh, uh, trying to punish her. She writes, it's all about the Benjamins baby and puts a bunch of $100, $100 bills up. Now, people, including Ben Shapiro, <laughs> responded by saying that this was playing into the stereotype that Jews love money. A classic Ben Shapiro, this, is clearly, I mean, I, I, Omar's, uh, she's anti-Semitic. I mean, if there's anything more anti-Semitic than this, I mean, you're telling you the Jews, Jews love money, Jews love gold, so you got $100 bills here, uh, you're talking about all about the Benjamins. this is clearly how uh, everybody's uh, perpetuating a stereotype that's just not true. And she is a racist. She is an anti-Semite. She is a disgusting human being. How dare you place uh, dollar bills there? This is a, a stereotype that cannot continue to live on. She is uh, anti-Semitic and, uh, and hates Israel and hates all the Jews. I'm paraphrasing Ben uh, Ben Shapiro there, but that's more or less what he said. I heard the, the fucking clip of it. So you got Ben Ben Shapiro, who I, I, I'm i good with him on some issues. I enjoyed when he beat the crap out of Jenk uh, Unger on stage verbally in a debate about uh, the market. But... It's just idiotic to say that what she said is somehow anti-Semitic or playing into Jewish stereotypes. And she's since apologized for this, I would not have. I would have told them to go fuck themselves. Because when you're talking about money, you're not talking about Jews liking money. You're talking about representatives of the United States liking money from Israel, from AIPAC. And AIPAC said, oh, we, we didn't donate that much. Well, they donated $24 million. That's a lot of money, $24 million last year, trying to pressure people to support various instances. And of course, where are they tied into military funding, foreign aid, (laughs) they're not tied into humanitarian, humanitarian issues, guys. I'll tell you that much. No, these things are all tied into the military industrial complex. And so it is all about the Benjamins. And were it not, this is where Omar's a little bit of adult, though, to say it's all about money is just foolish because it's not only about money, it's also about slander and spiting these people should they dare to speak out against Israel. That's the greatest danger. And now granted, those who play the game, those who t- to get sidled up to the next of APAC, those people benefit monetarily for sure, without a doubt. But more importantly... They enjoy the support of APAC. They enjoy the endorsements. They enjoy the Jewish community getting behind the candidates that they endorse. Not only does that mean money, but that means power in regards to a voting bloc that's going to support you because APAC has given you the stamp of approval. So her comments just... Uh, so here's her, here was her apology. Anti-Semitism is real and I am grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. Again, because she's accepting the fact that what she tweeted out earlier is a, is an anti-Semitic trope instead of simply a, a valid criticism of the APAC relationship with American politicians. But I digress. My intention is never to offend my constituents or Jewish Americans as a whole. We have to always be willing to step back and think, of, think through criticism. Just as I expect people to hear me when others attack me for my identity. Because, you know, the left can never fucking talk without having to up their identity politics against one another. So she's got to up the identity politics. This is why I unequ- unequivocally apologize. <laughs> At the same time, I reaffirm the problematic role of lobbyists in our politics, whether it be APAC, the NRA or the fossil fuel industry. So again, let me go full Democrat on you guys. Not only don't forget I'm black. Don't forget I'm black and Muslim. So I'm minority, but also fuck the NRA and fuck oil, right? Yeah. Fucking, uh, fuck you. Anyway, it's gone on too long. We must be able to address it. And then she writes <laughs> listening and learning but standing strong with a Rosie the Riveter you know, chick arm. Just so fucking stupid. So, in response to her very valid criticisms, of course you have APAC attacking her. You've got all these people saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna sanction her. We're gonna we're gonna really go after her. What they ended up doing was the House passed this resolution, which was a broad I don't even know. A gobbledygook message about anti-bigotry and anti-racism just meant nothing. Stupid, idiotic bullshit, which actually might play into Donald Trump's hands. Because instead of saying, OK, we're going after specifically anti-Semitic remarks, they watered it down to the point because the Democrats didn't want to give up Omar, right? They don't want to just throw her to the wolves and tell her to fall on the sword here and uh, and be ousted next election cycle. Just be a black sheep for the rest until she's kind of there, kind of like a sitting a, a one-person sitting duck session or lame duck session of Congress or of the House. So they water it down and they have this broad resolution. And Donald Trump then this is plays into this whole Jexit thing. Says, okay, well these these people are, are too much of a pussies to call out uh, her misdeeds. I'll call it out. Get rid of the Democratic Party. Leave them. Come to me. I won't stand for any of this. I won't stand for anybody attacking APAC or Israel. So that's where we we end up. But again, like I was saying, this all ties in to the military industrial complex, pulling out its card, pulling out APAC, attacking anybody that dare question the military responsibility and obligations that the United States has to Israel and the constant support we give them, even though Israel has committed numerous human rights atrocities, numerous war crimes just in the past year, even in the past month, we're seeing women and children and journalists get murdered on the border over in Gaza. Getting shot down. Not only that, but we see Israel declare that, despite the fact that they consider themselves a democracy, they clearly don't value the Arab population there, and in fact, they don't even consider them to be on equal footing with the Jews in Israel. And Netanyahu's he's not—he's not shy about saying that. He literally says that Israel is, quote, "not a state of all its citizens." And if that's not anything clearer to say, we will never consider Arabs or non-Jews, mind you, equal in voting, in political power, in priorities as far as housing, as far as uh public utilities and welfare and programs, what else they want to do, or just basic civil rights. I don't mean I don't know how else you can say that and be any more clear. But it is truly a despicable, despicable outlook. And they again. Yeah, for this, quote-unquote, that's what they tout. We're the only democracy in the region. Really? Well, are you a democracy if you're uh, squashing you know, half of the population that lives there? I wouldn't say so. So that's another aspect of the military-industrial complex rearing its ugly head. And the funniest thing was, too, after all this happened, Omar comes out and says that Barack Obama's message of hope and change is a mirage. And she's exactly right. And this is one thing I hate. I mean, look, I can't stand 99% of what this woman stands for, but I can get behind her here. Because she is coming out, she says, his message of hope and change was a mirage and she attacked his drone and border detention policy, saying, quote, recalling the caging of kids at the U.S.-Mexico border and the droning of countries around the world. Obama operated within the same fundamentally broken framework as his Republican successor. Exactly. And then she went on to say, we can't be only upset with Trump. His policies are bad, but many of the people who came before him also had really bad policies. They were just more polished than he was. And that's not what we should be looking for anymore. We don't want anybody to get away with murder because they're polished. We want to recognize the actual policies that are behind the pretty face and the smile. And that of course, is aimed directly at Barack Obama, who continued to expand the war state that George W. Bush started. He expanded Afghanistan operations. He expanded Iraqi. Well, I mean, can't can't expand it more than full fledged war. But Obama maintained the presence there, expanded into Syria, expanded into uh, you know, basically permitted the the Saudis to go into Yemen. You know, that's not people people conflate that with Trump. That wasn't Trump's doing. Trump is exacerbating excuse me exacerbating the situation. But he didn't start it. Obama did that. Not only that, of course, Obama overseeing the largest domestic spying operations, Obama murdering people and getting this whole drone warfare business started. So good job, Omar, calling him out. But now you see even more why this woman is an enemy to the state now, at least the state in which it's actually controlled, which is, of course, controlled by the military industry. So expect many more attacks to come her way. If she finishes her career out, if she if she gets reelected, I'd be beyond shocked, number one. Number two, at the rate this is going, I have a feeling that she's not even going to finish out her her term because she is far too much of a threat to the military industrial complex. All right, this is going to be, God, this is going real long, longer than I thought. Let's take a quick break and I want to come back and talk about the military budget and then we'll get into a couple more things and wrap it up. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. Alright, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 115, everybody. Meaning you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL115 to get the show notes for this episode. All right, coming back into it. We're still not done with the military industrial complex laying all its cards out because Donald Trump has proposed his new budget. And within it, there's a lot of well, there's a lot of shit. I, I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna get deep into it. There's some stuff I like. And there's some stuff I don't like. This might be a topic to, uh, to go into next show because I'm just not going to have time today. And I want to stay on target like Luke Skywalker and the motherfucking X-Wing, bitch. Although, love Luke Skywalker, guys. Hate Mark Hamill. What a progressive sack of shit. Ugh. Uh, just, his Twitter feed is like just being punched in the dick repeatedly with a progressive uh, vagina hat. <laughs> pussy hat, if you will. A fist coated in a pussy hat. Anywho, so Trump's got his budget out there now, and within his budget is $544 billion for the general Pentagon budget, i.e. military spending. That in itself is not shocking. It kind of is about par for the course. What is shocking, and this is per antiwar.com's breakdown, is that they've got $100 billion, and they're looking to a uh, a military.com website 100 billion dollars of that is for overseas contingency operations, i.e., operations which do not have the same delineated budget as the Pentagon military bill and are easy to kind of eh, spread around, fudge, use whatever the fuck you want for, black ops operations, any sort of interactions you want to get into Africa. Again, this is the reason this is so concerning, except other than the obvious reasons, guys, is that. We already have the largest military budget in the world by several times over. Donald Trump's talking about trying to rein in what we're doing overseas, right? This is what he its Kind of like, I, I'm a little terrified he's going to turn into George W. Bush too. Because George W. Bush ran on a platform of non-empire building, non-intervention, of reigning in the American empire, and then went hog wild, spreading our American seed all over, skeet, 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 motherfucker, and all over the world in regards to dropping bombs. Now, Donald Trump, I worry, he's going to take the same tact. We're in the well, first couple of years, okay, and then he's just going to go hog wild with the military. Because, as I, I mentioned earlier in the show, we're really ramping up activities in Africa. You know, we're we're active, we're we're keeping elections uh, safe. Where was it, Ghana? <laughs> We're, we're, we got troops over there keeping the elections from, from rioters. Uh, what are we doing there? I don't even know what the fuck's going on. We're taking activity in Somalia. We're training troops. We've got troops on the ground there. I mean, this is all under the guise to fight terror, right? The war on terror, the great blank check. Well, we just saw the amount that's written on the great blank check, and it's $100 billion for these overseas contingency operations, which are not overseen. They They are virtually untraceable because of the the Pentagon and all the different tricks that they can play and shuffling the money around. And it just sets a dangerous precedent in regards to military spending. And again, of course, we know where this pressure is coming from. I mean, even the, even, <laughs> even the guy, House Budget Committee Chairman John Yarmuth, a Democrat from Kentucky, just like Rand Paul, which of course, he's going to benefit from all the missiles that they sell because there's a Raytheon plant right there. But even he's saying the president's budget will rely on a giant o c o gimmick to prop up defense spending exactly so on one hand, Trump's saying, well you know i'm I'm cutting budgets down and i I, I don't want to you know rack it up meanwhile this this new budget he's proposing will cost some seven point nine trillion dollars additional to what we already have over the next ten years this FYI. because <laughs> we we shit on the Democrats and rightly so for their spending policies they put into place. You know, I think Bernie Sanders' plan for Medicaid for all was supposed to cost like $10 trillion. You know, again, would I rather have Medicaid for all or I'd rather have uh, people getting bombed all over the world for the for $10 trillion? I guess Medicaid for all. You know, again, this is putting me, uh, you say, which one, which box do you want to get into? That box is a bunch of rabid raccoons or this one with two badgers, one of whom has a horrible case of herpes? Well, I, I don't really know. I guess I'll go with the raccoons. I might get rabies, but I got a fighting chance in the raccoon box. So it's just, it's just unbelievably naked what's going on here. And I, I'm incredibly disappointed to see Donald Trump is, is going down this road. I really had hoped, especially because he was talking about cutting the budget for the military by 30 billion the last time, last time Donald and I talked on the course. And now we're seeing. $100 billion increase in the shadiest possible fashion. I mean, guys, we are seeing, like I said, this has been a week for all of the tricks of the military industrial complex, all of the subterfuge, all of the, uh, all of the behind the scenes machinations of the military war machine are on full display here to keep Americans distracted. Look at the racist bird on my left. Don't look at the massive war machine sucking trillions of dollars out of us over, uh, You know, every couple of years on the right, don't look at all the civilian deaths from all the drone bombing that we're doing all over the world, which of course that should fall under the OCO budget as well, right? We're talking about overseas contingency operations. If nothing else, doesn't that say to you, small infiltrating groups like what we've got in Somalia, doesn't that say to you, drone bombings like we've got going on, doesn't that say to you, facilitating genocides in Yemen? It certainly does to me. Ah, oh, well. Enough on that. Let's move on to uh, not not happier talk. Well, somewhat happier talk. <laughs> Let's talk about the House voting in favor of illegal immigrants having voting rights. Now, that's not happier talk for those of us who are concerned about the welfare state and are concerned about the way progressives have been importing votes or concerned about ballot harvesting, which I, you know, it's funny, I'm not in favor of a lot of government intervention, but in regards to ballot harvesting, I could not be more against it. I think that needs to be made illegal as soon as possible. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about certain elections that were in states and, uh, and counties that had always gone one direction as far as political voting. And those were flipped. The majority of them were flipped like in California, states like mine in heavily red areas outside of the city centers wherein progressive advocates went out, found old people, sick people, mentally deranged people, homeless people that hadn't filled out their ballots. They fill their ballots out for them and then they mail them in. And of course, they all voted Democrat. Weird how that worked out. And they say, well, no, we didn't, you know, we didn't tell them who to vote for. Okay. Assholes. You didn't tell them who to vote for. Really? Well, I have to think that you wouldn't be going out there to do this if you didn't think they're going to vote the way you wanted them to vote, right? I mean, typically people don't go canvassing around and ballot harvesting in solid red places if you want somebody to vote Democrat, unless you're confident that you're going to get a lot of Democratic votes, right? I mean, this breaks down to fucking basic logic level. So, of course, these assholes find people that are not all there mentally, various reasons. They convince them that they're going to vote Democrat or I don't even know. They might not even do any convincing. They might simply have them sign a form and fill it out for them. To be perfectly honest, And I, I, that would be my presumption as to what happens. And then they mail it in. And that's how you have places that are traditionally conservative go blue. There was one instance in North Carolina. Of course, the only one that's being investigated coincidentally is the one in North Carolina, I believe, which went red because of ballot harvesting, but you know, all the rest of them are totally fine. anyway, So now the House is voting in favor of illegal immigrants voting, which is, whew, God, that's the end game, guys. If we allow illegal immigrants to vote, it's over. I mean, we already have an existing welfare state, which is spending far beyond its means, accomplishing absolutely nothing. One of the things, my favorite things to talk about, of course, is the welfare state and how poverty levels stay the exact same, how socioeconomic status stays the exact same. Of course, a lot of that has to do with family units, but I mean, if now you say, OK, all illegal immigrants get to vote, you are going to have droves of people that now will be voting purely Democratic, because despite the fact that these people probably would do much more effective work and, and have far greater chance at getting up into a middle class environment or even higher based in a free market system like we advocate as libertarians in a tax free zone where an entrepreneurship is encouraged and the government isn't stealing half of your fucking paycheck, regardless of whether or not it's going to community services that you may be taking or, or not taking. They always vote Democrat. And they're coming from countries that are purely Democratic countries for the most part. I mean, Brazil's now got a Republican in charge just because that country got so fucked up. And the guy's an asshole. They voted a complete psycho asshole into office just because the Democrats have fucked that country up so bad. But you have people coming over here that still are democratically bent. And they believe, okay, well, you know what I mean? Hey, our country got fucked up, but I still think that I should get some free shit. I still want free schooling. I'm in this country. I'm poor. I don't know anybody. I have nothing. Of course I want free shit. Of course I want free schooling. Of course I want handouts. Of course I want food stamps. Of course I want all of these things. So naturally they're going to vote Democrat. And that's the one thing that I've always said is, you know, when it comes to immigration, that's a tricky issue for libertarians, right? Because we've got the welfare state. But the one thing I've always said is even if we open the borders up, and I'm fine, like open the borders up. I'd be more, I, I, you know, I get people work pieces, have them come in here, give them the chance to make money. But under no circumstances would you ever give a non-citizen a fucking vote in this country. And these pieces of shit are now blatantly opening the kimono and showing the world this is what we're made of. We are only about power. We are only about authority. We'll buy you off to do it. We'll keep pushing the buck down the road until we destroy this country. And this is the latest example of that. You're talking about selling out every citizen of this country in order to stay in power. Just goddamn damn despicable. All right, moving on. I want to talk about uh, real quick, Rand Paul. Oh boy, Rand Paul. So Rand Paul's done a lot of good things: standing up against Yemen, standing up against budgetary increases, standing up against the war state. But man, I wish he had kept his mouth shut in regards to vaccines, because it harkens back to a simpler time, guys. Back in the early days of the podcast, where we did have a we had an editor we worked with, sweet guy, love him to death. And uh, Love is uh, his, his son, too. He uh, works for Ron Paul's Institute, I believe, writing for him. But uh, fuck, man. John Dalbert, here raising a glass to you, buddy. He made a cute little tag for something that was a recurring theme, especially when we did our old Rand Paulus' and Minus' dedicated show. And it's where Rand Paul would come out on an issue, and he'd be correct, right? He'd say something, and you're like, oh, man. Yeah, Rand, I'm with you. And then he would say something, the next sentence, which just completely fucked it up. <laughs> so here's what Rand Paul had to say. And this was just this, you know, yeah, just a few days ago, because there was the report that came out essentially proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that autism and vaccines are not connected, period. They are not connected. And we have this at the same time that this is happening. We also have record outbreaks of measles and mumps throughout the country, you know, diseases that have been eradicated by virtue of using vaccines have now cropped up because parents are not vaccinating their kids because I don't know. Look, I'm talking to a libertarian audience here, guys. If you don't want to vaccinate your kids, don't vaccinate your kids. I have no problem with that. However, if a public school says you're required to get a vaccination to go there, well, them's the fucking breaks, man. Uh, You can homeschool your kids just like a private school should be able to do that I'm sorry, I, I understand it's your tax dollars, but when you're when you are putting an unvaccinated child into a uh a system that does have rules and requirements, I don't know. I, I have a hard time opposing that. I understand that we're talking about a public service, a public a public utility, if you will, which education should fucking not be. But at the same time, you know, if your kid has lice and goes to school and they say you got to take care of these lice before you can come back you're not going to object to that you know it's putting everybody else at risk so i, I don't have a, i don't have a huge issue with that what i do have a huge issue with is mandatory vaccinations throughout the entire populace and that is something i unequivocally uh, oppose but getting back to ron paul or sorry rand paul so what rand paul said was when he was testifying this issue, you had this 18-year-old Ethan Lindenberger of Norwalk, Ohio, Ohio, where Rico's from, testifying that he got vaccinated after his parents didn't, you know, didn't have him vaccinated because he said, Oh, I realize that this is after the scientific data. This is something that I had to do. So Rand Paul says, I vaccinated myself. I vaccinated my kids. For myself and my children, I believe that the benefits of vaccines greatly outweigh the risks. Okay. I agree with you, Rand. Good statement. Hard for anybody to agree to disagree with that. And I know I'm talking to a Libertarian audience. I know half of you are still going to say, no, the government puts shit in the, in the vaccines. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> I'm going to get to that. But in regards to what Rand says here, that is a solid statement, right? He's not saying they're 100% safe. He's saying there are dangers, there are risks, but the benefits outweigh the risks, i.e. not getting measles, bumps, rubella, whatever the fuck the rest are but he goes on to say proponents of mandatory government vaccination argue that parents who refuse to vaccinate their children risk spreading the disease to an immuno uncompromised community. There doesn't seem to be enough evidence that this happening to be recorded as a statistic. It's wrong to say there are no risks to vaccines. Even the government admits that children are sometimes injured by vaccines. Okay. Number one, Rand is just wrong here uh, because there are, plenty of statistics to back up the fact that immuno-uncompromised Americans, uh, people that have illnesses, you know, AIDS, HIV, or uh, doing, I don't know, doing any sort of, of uh, something that could inhibit their ability to fight off infection, even if they haven't vaccinated, or, or people that maybe just haven't, still are highly at risk, highly at risk for this shit. Um, you know, there's just, there's no, there, as a doctor, and I, granted, I know he's not a practicing physician as much as he used to be, but as a doctor, this is just not correct, in general. Number two, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, if by saying the government admits children are injured by vaccines, if he's being you know, while that is a factually accurate statement, we're talking about such a tiny portion of the population that it is more fear mongering than anything to to state. That. And I, uh, I, you know, obviously there's. Any drug, any substance on Earth, your people can have an adverse reaction to. So, I mean, it's just kind of one of those stupid things to say, okay, well, you know, even the government admits that children can be harmed by vaccines. Well, okay, the, the government or anybody with a half a fucking brain in their head would admit that children can be injured by falling tree branches or that children can be injured by peanut butter or children can be injured by inhaling, uh, <laughs> snorting pixie sticks like they're cocaine. Whatever it is. Someone's going to have an allergy to it. Someone's going to have an adverse reaction to it. Why do you think at the end of every fucking pharmaceutical commercial, they list 75 different ridiculous side effects, none of which happen except for 0.001% of the population. So this is just, it's blatantly misleading. It it, it is fear-mongering. And I have a real issue with that. Now, that being said, the Washington Post wrote a whole article attacking Rand by this guy, Sad B Omer. and he is sad, sad motherfucker. So, sad or sad, B Omar. He says, "Oh, vaccinations are not a threat to liberty," as Rand Paul thinks, and he's saying that you know he grew he grew up in a society that didn't have mandatory vaccines, and that it just was. It had, or I'm sorry, he grew up in a society that has mandatory vaccines, and that's the only thing that saved his country, right? Saves millions of lives every year and illnesses were uh, eliminated. Okay, great. We all acknowledge that, right? And I think the majority of people are still going to go out of their way to, to vaccinate their kids. And in fact, if anything, the anti-vax movement has been has been pushed along by idiots like Jenny McCarthy and, and fake news, the real fake news, you know, an article in The Lancet long ago linking vaccines with uh, autism, which again, just was completely, and for the last fucking time, nail in the coffin, guys, don't ever fucking bring up autism vaccines ever again. So I'll boot you out of the goddamn Lion's Liberty Forum. But it has been disproven. There's no link there. But this guy, you know, he's saying that there's no threat to liberty. Well, there there is a threat to liberty. Just because I happen to be a fan of vaccines because I believe in the medical qualities of them doesn't mean that I'm not so terrified of it and doesn't mean that I'm not opposed wholeheartedly to a mandatory vaccination. There is nothing as an American that should be mandatory for you to do not even fucking taxes. But to say that you have to put something into your body, especially in this day and age, by the way, we're entering a new technological age. I mean, this guy, (coughs) pardon me, this guy, sad B. Omer. (laughs) Spomer. So Spomer here, I don't know exactly how it is, probably 50. It's probably a little, little beyond the, the technological curve. But we're talking about an era we're entering now where we are literally entering the era of nanotechnology. We're entering the era of smart viruses. We're entering the era where they can design bacteria and viruses to actually literally go in and eat cancer. And these are technologies that exist now, today. So if you're telling me, that I should permit the government to inject my body with something and make it mandatory where I have to get an injection, which I don't know what's in it. They can tell me what's in it. I don't know. And and considering the syphilis tests of the, of the past where they brought in black people and injected them with syphilis intentionally, I'm now supposed to trust my government to be completely altruistic and have my best interests at heart at all times when they're injecting me with unknown chemicals Unknown viruses at all times. I'm sorry, but no. There is no circumstance in which any government should have the ability to force somebody to put anything into their body at any time. Now, again, I said earlier, if you want to put your kids in public school and they require you to be vaccinated to go in public school, I don't have an issue with that because you have an option to not put them in public school, to put them in private school, to put them in homeschooling program. You can use Ron Paul's homeschooling curriculum. But when you have government mandating everybody gets vaccinated, well, you've got a real issue. You also have a potential for tracking. We're talking about again, we're talking about nanotechnology. We're talking about the micronization of data, of circuitry. They can put tracking input us in there. They could put, and we're talking about also a convergence of transhumanism. You know, Zoltan Ispan shit. Or we're talking about implants in your hands, they'd open your car and open your this and use your bank account. Okay, let's say the government injects you with something because it's a mandatory vaccination now. Let's say they inject you with something so that it enables them to turn off your fucking bank account by your uh, your, your hand card, right? Or it, uh, or it shut you down just like a car. Because we are literally entering that technological age. And the government can freeze your bank account. Who's to say they can't simply freeze you? Because we don't know what's on the horizon. And once you open that Pandora's box of we get to put X into you, we don't know what X is. We don't know what X can become. And that's why everything we talk about here is so important. That's why all these people don't understand every single freedom you give up, every single privacy, every single right you give up. It's not just that right. And it never has been just that right. Look what happened with the fucking Patriot Act. We are talking about a government that is completely immoral that has no qualms expounding upon any crack that you put in your armor to infiltrate you and completely take you over. So I'm sorry, Boomer, but uh, you're real off base here. And while Rand Paul did have one of his famous moments where he said one sentence and then crapped the other one, which we called... Rand Paul one sentence earlier. <laughs> Rand Paul one sentence earlier. Too. <laughs> oh, God, I miss it. Oh, I fucking miss Rand Paul one sentence earlier. Anyway, Rand Paul did one, Rand Paul one sentence earlier. Do do. Um, he is right, though. It is a threat to real liberty. So, and, and while, <laughs> while I think it's a big black eye in regards to just the overall fear mongering, I appreciate maybe where he's coming from. Okay, last topic. This is going to be very, very quick. Uh, actually, two ones. Number one, Trump endorses permanent daylight savings time. Fuck you, government, for taking an hour of my goddamn sleep. Fuck you. Don't take my money. Quit take my sleep. So am for that. <laughs> permanent daylight savings time. There's a, a silver lining to your Trump awfulness of the week. And speaking of weeks, here's your idiot of the week. And this is a professor in Washington, of course. Where else but Washington State, right? University of Washington. I'm sorry, not Washington State. Well, it's in Washington State, but a University of Washington because Washington seems to be full, just, just fuller of fucking mongos and, and dipshits every fucking day. Gave a lecture at Boston University. Someone named Robin D'Angelo. And she told the audience a, quote, dangerous white person, unquote, Sees people as individuals rather than by skin color. I, 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 just, I, I gotta take a breath. I gotta take a breath. <laughs> it's if there's one thing that's dangerous in this world, it's groupthink. It's dividing people based upon ideologies or skin colors or anything else. This woman is a fucking Nazi. I, I guarantee she would call any of us a Nazi at the drop of a hat. But she is the Nazi. She is the one preaching groupthink. She is the one preaching hatred. She is the one preaching, euthanizing an aspect of society and categorizing them as dangerous should they have a differing opinion than hers. The greatest thing, my friends, you can do in your life is consider every person as an individual. Okay, well, look, you might cure cancer. That's, the, that's maybe better. I don't even give a shit if you're like, you know who I hate? Hindus. Here's a cure for cancer. All right, you get to be racist. You earned it. But everybody else, view people as Individuals. Don't be part of your tribe. You know, and I'm talking even us as libertarians, don't be part of our tribe. You know, we get in this group think it just oru boris of eating your own shit. Get out of that. View people as individuals, hear what they have to say, value them based upon who they are as a person, what they have to say, where they come from. And that doesn't mean that we discount people just because they happen to be brainwashed progressive dipshits that does, you know, that's a thing, but some of my best friends are brainwashed progressive dipshits. And actually I made a breakthrough. I don't even think I told you guys about this. I made a breakthrough watching football and the, uh, the divisional rounds. Me and another buddy of mine, James, who's uh who's libertarian. I'd say he's right. Libertarian slash conservative uh, libertarian slash GOP. Leans more libertarian though. He and I and a buddy of mine, one of my best friends was in my wedding, insane progressive, insane. But we're talking about policy and we're talking about, you know, I we eventually worked our way through to poverty. And I didn't mention this earlier. I just said, look, man, you know, we spend more on poverty. We spend more on welfare than any other country in the world. And, and it laid it out. And it said, the statistics are the exact same. And he said, well, what, you know, and I said, look, it's not that I don't care about the, the poor. I care. I said, you know, my standpoint isn't to, to simply just cut these people off and let them fend, you know, fend for themselves in the wild and the wolves immediately. I, eventually, I would like that. But and I said, no. I said, we've been doing this for years. We have this welfare state propped up for years. We're spending more now than ever before, and poverty hasn't changed. I said, can't you just take a step back and ask if there's a different way to do it, if we should try something else, if the time has arrived to take a novel approach to this problem? And by simply presenting him with that question, which is number one, based in logic, but number two also ties into the progressive's emotional heart, which is helping people and fairness. And number three, bring it to bear that how can somebody argue with trying something different when you've been doing the same failed approach for decades? And by the way, for the first time, it's one of my best friends, for the first time in my life, He actually stopped and he had to think about it. And he said, no, you said, you're right. And I said, and I gave him some options, one of which was Rand Paul's idea, you know, doing tax-free zones to uh, encourage entrepreneurship, get these communities thriving, give people a chance to, to make something of themselves without the government getting in the way. And to his credit, I was shocked as fuck. He said, you know, you are absolutely right. So guys, no one... Is a dangerous person for viewing people as individuals. The only way we're going to connect with each other is as individuals. The only way we connect with grander society is one connection at a time. <laughs> Just like the FBI spies on us, seven hops. We need seven hops of individualism. That's how we're going to spread liberty. That's how we're going to spread our message. That's how we're going to succeed. That's how this culture can stop eating itself. But this bitch, this bitch who teaches, She's the kind of person where viewing her as an individual, I hope she falls down a subway platform and gets hit by a car. Subway car, of course. <laughs> <laughs> ah, nothing laughing after wishing someone's death. All right, that's it. We're going to wrap up. That's our idiot of the day, guys. Like I said, I'm going to link to all of these stories. I did a lot of topics here. I'm going to link to all these in the show notes. I'm also going to link to our Ron Paul's 32 questions in 32 days. That was the... Uh, very lengthy essays we wrote based upon Ron Paul and his final final uh, year in office. And also my answer to his question, which was question number 11, why is a political suicide to question APAC? Link to that as well. And I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to go out on a treat, guys, because I teased Do Nothing Man. I released the Do Nothing Man episode number one to you. Uh, you know, that was a couple of Tuesdays ago. Episode number two is dropping this week, but only for our Patreon and our Pride. I'm sorry. You know, the first one's free. Gotta get you hooked. But uh, I'm coming out. It's gonna be versus the Minimum Rager. It's gonna be absolutely hilarious episode. And I, uh, a big thanks. One of our Pride supporters, one of our friends, a fellow podcaster over at Sounds Like Liberty, Nick Picone, who is also a musician and has a fantastic service, which you might've heard about on the show. You can sign up. Every day through Liberty 365, he sends out, a Freedom 365, excuse me, he sends out a song of the day and breaks it down, the libertarian themes. It is awesome. So check him out. Check out Sounds Like Liberty as well. I'll link to that show. He created the ballad of Do Nothing Man, and I'm going to go out on that. So guys, if you want to hear the new episode, it's going to be done before the end of the week. Sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. You will not regret it. You can even get, sign up for $10 or more. You can even get a Do Nothing Man t-shirt. I've just popped those into the store. So it's sweet. So anyway, Nick, take us out. with The Ballad of Do Nothing Man. From me, Brian McWilliams. From the Lions of Liberty. From Electric Liberty Land. Stay plugged into liberty. Do Nothing Man, a stay!
1: He sits in a chair and it's not because he don't care, he just knows it's better off without him.